your church, that you are a God who has so loved the world that you sent your only son and that you have so loved the world that you keep sending us, that as Jesus was sent into the world, that we are sent into the world, that the gospel has been entrusted to us, that we might be ambassadors. Father, we ask that you would come near this morning and help us to own that identity in very practical and powerful and conscious and deliberate ways that the gospel may indeed go forward and your kingdom come. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the GODC has decided, the GOC for the uninitiated is the Global Outreach Committee. Uh, it is our missions committee. And uh, we have decided this year to send a team to Uganda. There are little passports on the table as you go out. And, and my hope is that, that eight or ten of you are going to go to Uganda. And so this is partly recruiting. You know, we would love to see you go. Um, and one of the things I want to accomplish this morning as we talk about this, and here it has some of the basic information, and then this will be unfolding as we uh, move toward the, the trip. But we need to roll it out now and give you information because we need to start moving in that direction if we're going to go in April. Uh, but one of the things I am convinced of is that more people would go if money were not an object, uh, a, a barrier, if money were not an object, uh, an issue. More people would go. More people would say, I would be a part of this mission. I would give my time, my energies, my talents. I would cross the world, and I would be part of this team if money weren't in the way. Admittedly, it would be a challenge. It costs more money to go to Africa than to go to Mexico. And that's the first response that I've gotten from some folks as we've talked about a trip to Uganda is, why not Acapulco? Um, and the, the short answer there is the other question that I hear, or the other response I hear when I say that is it's about time that we offer something else, uh, which is one of those things. One of the, 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 the reality is we haven't gone anywhere but Acapulco for more than 10 years. Um, it's a great thing. I hope that we'll go back next year. Maybe next year we'll send a team to both places. Uh, but this year, since we didn't have a trip at all last year, it kind of fell through. Our desire is to do one trip, and, and, and the decision was to go to uh, Uganda. We have ties there. Four of our children uh, in our congregation, our family, are from there. We've had a number of our folks go, and JB has been going for 15 years or more. Um, we've had uh, Shalina Ryder go with him on some medical missions. Drew Humberger, one of our members, went with him on a more evangelistic outreach. And the Lusks and the DeMosses have spent time there. And I know that when Morgan was there, he was preaching and teaching and part of some of the outreaches that they did. And um, we have some strong ties there as well. And uh, we know that, that, that doing Uganda is a little bit of a stretch. But it's a stretch that I believe that God is calling us to. And it's something that we want to see happen. But I also know that unless we own it together, uh, it's not going to happen. Really what this morning about then is for us as a church to have a corporate vision of sending people into the harvest. And that God said that we should pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to, to send forth workers. And then we are meant to be the answer in some ways to that prayer, to be the workers that go and the senders that send. Um, and my desire is that we as a church would, this year we are sending a team to Uganda, and another team to Jamaica. So we are sending two teams. 
We'll talk about that here in just a second. But I know that raising support is one of the greatest challenges for missionaries, whether they're long-term missionaries, mid-term missionaries, or short-term, you know, uh, summer missionaries. It's hard. It's one of the greatest barriers. And how do I know? Because I've done most of those, um, and I've been a part of those. My first mission trip, I went to India when I was a junior in college, and I spent the summer uh, working with Frontier Mission, reaching out to uh, Muslims, and I can tell you as a 20-year-old, you know, raising the money to go halfway around the, the world for a summer for eight weeks was Mount Everest, you know, it was one of those things I just, you just have to say, God will indeed provide if he wants us to go, and so I went, a year after college, I went to El Salvador, a year after that, I went on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship as a home missionary, and I spent seven years raising 100% of the support for my family, uh, for the ministry, and for every single uh, aspect of it that needed money, I had to raise it. Raising support humbled us, taught us to trust God's provision. It built relationships. And I think it's tragic as I see folks and they come through, you know, with our missions committee, the global outreach, and we see folks come through, people who have said, I will uproot my family. I will leave all the comforts of America. I will leave my family behind. I will go in answer to the call. And they struggle to raise the money to go. Some people are afraid of asking for funding. Some are afraid. Others are too proud to ask for money. I'm not going to ask people for money. In fact, I would rather not go and not ever do missions than ask somebody for money. If I can't pay for it, I don't want to do it. And that's one model. I understand where you're coming from, but I don't, I don't know that, that it's a biblical model, but I understand what you're saying because it was hard. It was hard for me as a 23-year-old to raise tens of thousands of dollars to support my family in full-time home missions. And it's humbling. But to rather not go, to not participate, than to be supported by other people's generosity is not biblical. And so not only are the barriers to, to fundraising then, we're afraid to ask or we're too proud to ask, but the other piece of that that makes this difficult is maybe the greatest barrier, some of our negative attitudes about being asked, about people asking us for money for something like this. We get solicitations in the mail. We get phone calls. I screen my calls. And then, then when I pick it up, and I'm like, oh, you know, that is how do I get off without being rude? Knocks at the door, emails. We are solicited all the time. But I would say this. I would put all of that into one category and say, however, the solicitations and the, and the, and the raising of funds and support within a church community are very different and that we ought to see them quite differently and embrace one more openly than the other. When opportunities come within our church community, it is an opportunity for blessing. And I want to show you this from the scripture. I want to talk about support raising for the work of mission. Because where do we get such crazy ideas? From the Bible and from Jesus. Right? A lot of us don't know Jesus was supported by other people's giving so that he could do mission. It's here in your bulletin under the first point, Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> We're told that he, Jesus, went throughout all the cities and the villages, and he was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is on the move. He's traveling. He's going city to city. He doesn't have time to sit still. He doesn't have time to hold down a full-time job. Jesus is, is preaching the gospel as his full-time work, 
the good news of the kingdom. The 12 are with him. Some of the women that uh, had been saved under his ministry, delivered, Mary called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's daughter. So there's a bunch of them. It's not just Jesus, but there's a whole team of them going about. And we're told this. There were these ladies who were with him and many others who provided for them out of their means. In other words, Jesus had a team of people who were supporting him so that he could do the work of gospel mission, so that he could do the mission that God had sent him to do, set him free from worldly concerns so that he could be about his father's business, people who supported him financially. So how was Jesus able to go through the cities and the villages and to bring the gospel? He had a team of supporters that enabled him to do so. How did Paul and the other apostles, how does Paul uproot and get on a boat and pay for the boat and travel to cities all over the Mediterranean world? People gave in financial support of his mission. As you read a book like this of Philippians, this book is short. You know, it's not that long. But a great part of chapter 4 here at the end is a thank you for their ongoing support of his mission uh, as they financially gave so that Paul could go, right? The churches that gave so Paul could go. And so part of his letters as he would write to some of these churches was a thank you letter for missionary support. Paul was supported in his mission work the same way Jesus was supported in his mission work. Churches that knew him gave and supported him and sent him on his way. And so in verse 14, we read that, yes, it was kind of you to share in my trouble, right? It was, thank you, <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing the burden of ministry with me. Thank you for being a partner with me, which is what he goes on to say. In verse 15, he says, and it was you Philippians yourselves, you know, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and receiving except you only. Now, he planted a bunch of churches in Macedonia. Macedonia is basically northern Greece uh, at that time, a a kingdom. And and the city of Philippi actually is is a city founded and named after Philip of Macedon, who is Alexander the the Great's father, who had won a battle here. And the city of Philippi then has this this history. And he's, he's planted churches in a number of places in this area. And he says that when I did this, when he says the beginning of the gospel, He doesn't mean the beginning of his ministry. We know Paul has already been all through Asia Minor planting churches in Galatia and and Ephesus and the different cities and and areas in Asia Minor. So it's not the beginning of the gospel because that started with Jesus, not the beginning of his ministry. What he's saying is that the beginning of the gospel, when, when you believed in it, the beginning of the work of the gospel in your church, the time when you guys came to Christ. He says, so since the beginning of the gospel, when you in Macedonia began to come to Christ and churches are planted in a number of the towns, you're the only church that entered into partnership with me, sending me. Now, it's not the only church in partnership with Paul, and we know that, that he's getting support from those other churches in Asia Minor. We know that he's been supported through his ministry and sent by a number of churches, but out of this new crop of churches as he's moved on to Corinth and in southern Greece, um, this is the church that has supported him and made it possible. When I left to continue the mission, to go to more cities, you entered into partnership. Right? Look at that word in there. No church entered into partnership 
with me. Because right? I think that's what it is all about. I think that's the way we have to think about. You know, there's the goer who is like a Paul, people who are willing to get up and go and are able to do it. And there are those who then send and support and give. And there's this partnership, partnership in the gospel. And so Paul goes even as in verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Thessalonica is just down the road. You know, if you look at a map in the, in the back of your Bible, and you'll see the Philippi is right there in the little curve of the Aegean, and right below it is Thessalonica. So he's saying, even not only when I went to Corinth and to other parts of, uh, of southern Greece in that way, he said, even when I went to Thessalonica, which is literally a stone's throw up the road, it's like when I went to Dalton or I went to Dayton, you know, even when I went to Dayton, you supported me again and again. He's like, not one gift. But you met my needs once and again. It was regular support of Paul as he did his ministry. He established churches that supported the ongoing mission. I think that's some of his, as I've been reading about discipleship, and we've been talking a lot about discipleship, and that's one of the things that I think that we sometimes miss. It is not just we're making disciples, but you want to make disciples, you make disciples. Uh, you want to you work in people's lives in such a way that, that they are grounded and that, that they are uh, in, in a place now where they can meet with folks, where they can invest themselves and pour their lives into other people. You want to make disciples who can make disciples. And Paul, I think, you want to found churches by missionary laborers who send missionaries, that found churches, that send missionaries. And this is how... And they told two friends, and they told two friends. You're probably too young for that, too. <clears throat> Goers and givers partnering together. Second Corinthians, this is under your second point in your outline, Second Corinthians 11. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He said, did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Right? They, were, they were basically saying, Paul, your ministry must not really be worth very much because you didn't charge anything for it. Right? We didn't have to pay anything for it. You know, A lot of these other traveling philosophers, a lot of these other traveling people, if you want to sit under their tutelage and be a follower of them, you, know, you pay. Right? You, you, ha- you enter into their school, so to speak. And he says, Paul, you came to town and, and didn't charge us anything. And so after he left, there was some, you know, Paul spends time in his letters defending himself. But here's what he says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and I was in need, I didn't burden anyone there. I didn't burden uh, this ministry that I was the church I'm trying to found for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. And here's what Paul is saying. He wants to be able to come into a community and not ask for money. And right now, who, we are so skeptical of the people who show up at the door asking for money. Even ministries on TV that you watch, you know, and they're asking for money. And everybody, you know, and Paul shows up in town and he has the gospel. And there is a sense, even as you go to Africa, and they'll tell you, you have to be really careful what you bring and what you give away. Because we have so much and in our hearts, we want to do that. But there's this danger of, 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 of you know, we'll, we'll give you this if you accept this. You know, or we'll take, you know, or we'll ask from you. It's, it's this whole... When money gets involved, it can be very funny, whether you're giving it or whether you're taking it. We're not bribing them, and, and, they're not, and we're not selling it to them. 
And so Paul says, in order, while I was with you, I robbed other churches in order to serve you. And that has been the way of mission since day one. In order to go and for money not to be an issue, we send people and they're supported by established churches who love the gospel and the coming of the kingdom and the ministry of Jesus. And we band together and support and send. And as churches are planted, those churches enter into this ministry of giving and receiving partnering together for the gospel. There are a lot of references to Paul's support. Every now and then you hear, well, Paul was a tent maker, you know, and there's this whole tent making ministry. And I, I wanted to just touch that very briefly because it comes up in this whole discussion. And it's interesting, there are a lot of references like this to Paul's support. These churches that supported me and sent me and Paul thanking them and doing this. And tent making is, me- is mentioned one time. Um, mentioned in Acts chapter 18 when Paul shows up, I think in Corinth, and he meets Priscilla and Aquila, and he had run out of money. It looks like he ran out of money. He says they were tent makers like him, and he joined with them, and they, you know, it's the only time it's mentioned. It's, it just kind of breezed over, but then it says, right after that, it says, and he went synagogue to synagogue, place to place, preaching the gospel. It was His work was gospel work, and if he had to make a tent to eat, he did, but it was much better when he was supported by the other churches so he could be about the work of the ministry. Sometimes it's necessary, but not ideal. So here's the thing, the biblical basis of support raising, where Paul goes from here. And um, it's, it, for me, it is, it is eye-opening, just the reversal, because sometimes the way we are, and I know for me, when I get that phone call, I mean, it's like the firemen. You know, and I I've give to my local fire thing. I get a thing in the bi- in the mail, and if my house is on fire, I want them to come. So I, I do. I give their, their I give their asking, you know. But then I get these other, you know, the fireman things. We're having a circus in town. I want you to buy. We're having a concert. We want you to. And they call, and I'm like, you know, I just. But that's not because I don't want to be a giver. It's just I gave at the office. <laughs> <laughs> there are already ways that I am committed in places that I want to give, and, I, and, and we just have to be very deliberate. But, but that is sometimes, even at church, our posture, that, <laughs> you, know, that I, you know, that whole negative feeling about being asked. Paul is so, in the scripture, in the spirit of this, this ministry, is just so much richer and so much more, gospel-driven and alive. Listen to, listen to Paul. as we Support raising gives a clear sense of partnership, right? That's verse 15. As he says, he says, even, um, you know, no church entered into this partnership with me in the giving or the receiving except you. This clear sense of partnership. Paul was not alone anymore, right? Paul was not alone in the ministry. He had partners, partners who, you know, and you couldn't just send a check and give it to the postman. Like, if you wanted to give money to Paul so he could eat, you had to raise it. You had to put your gold and silver in a little bag. You had to give it to somebody. Okay, dude, here's where you got to go. You get a, a ship over, you know, in the harbor at, you know, Thessalonica. You take that down, you know, and you hit down, land down here. And then you got to walk to Corinth, which is, you know, 30 miles over there. And you deliver the money quite literally to their, to their hands. And these guys are sending support. So, so human beings show up to Paul and hand him money from the church. There, there, and there is uh, handshaking and holy kissing and, and, and time spent together. They probably hang out with him for a while and see how the ministry's going. There's a partnership, right? These people support Paul. They partner with him, and they want to. 
clear sense of being sent, friends, family. And for us who are not called to go, we get to partner with them. Like we get to have the gospel being preached in Uganda. In our partnership, like our ministry, our connectedness, every red-blooded follower of Jesus wants to partner, I think, in the advancement of his gospel. You know, wants to see the kingdom come and his will be done on earth and to see the gates of hell be pushed back as people come to Christ. And supporters then get to really and tangibly and meaningfully partner and make the mission actually happen. And so this whole conversation is between friends. It's a family discussion about our shared gospel goals of of what we want to do as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness together. And as we partner together and figure out how do we do this, how do we partner together to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Some are going to want to go, but they'll be afraid to ask for money. They'll be afraid to strain relationships. The Bible gives us every encouragement. You know, for Paul, it strengthened his relationship with the churches. And there was a real partnership. But the the next thing is that fundraising really is an opportunity for the givers to be eternally blessed. Isn't that one of those, it's a trite thing you'd hear the guy on TV saying, or, you know, this, you know, trust me, you know, you'll. Listen to Paul, look at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, to your account. You know, God is going to take care of my needs. My God is able to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Look, it's not about me. It's not about, you know, me asking and, and you giving. He says it's about, amazingly, the fruit that increases to your credit. The Philippians themselves, he says, will be blessed by their giving. Paul says in this whole partnership thing, you know, your giving and as he's going to say this here in a moment, your giving is not some side or some, you know, underneath or some unimportant. He says your giving is central, that, that in your giving, in fact, it's not even about my getting it, but you're, the act of your giving it, he says, is to your eternal fruit bearing. It is a storing up of treasure in heaven. Fruit will be increased. They will be enriched. In verse 17, it literally says, I don't seek the gift. I seek the fruit that abounds to you in your account. I don't seek the gift. I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What is Paul saying? I mean, Paul is simply expanding on what Jesus said elsewhere, right? When he says this, if this is true, right, and not just some manipulative way to get people to give money, if this is true, it's true Going back to Jesus who said, what Paul is saying right here is he's saying it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And that's what Jesus said. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe that. You know, we like to be the getter more than we like to be the giver. In fact, sometimes we resent being asked to be the giver. We want to be. But Jesus said the blessing, there's more blessing. The blessing abounds to the givers. more blessed to be the giving one than the receiving one. And he says so that it will bound to your credit as you store up in some 
way that's hard to understand, treasure in heaven, in the pleasures of God and in his love. Your giving is part of the progressive work of the spirit of God of making you like Jesus, hilarious givers who love the gospel and who love the kingdom. And it abounds to your spiritual blessing in this life, I believe, and in the life to come. But not only that, it's supporting missionaries is part of authentic worship. Again, it's not some side light. Like, look at verse 18. What does he say? He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm good. I'm well supplied. Thank you. Having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, the guy that he came, and he becomes good friends. It's about there's relationship here in, in the support. But then he goes on, he says this. I've received the gift from Epaphroditus that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Right? That's amazing language. Right? That is the Old Testament language of sacrifice. And he's like, you know what, guys? You dug deep and you put together money to send to me by a you know gave it to Epaphroditus and he brought it to me but I want you to know that what you did again it wasn't some side thing that was that was not just worship he said it was not just worship it was worship that is pleasing to God and it's accepted it's acceptable like he God receives that in that sense a worship that is right worship and acceptable and received by him. It's, it's fragrant offering, a sacrifice. This is Old Testament language. First Peter 2 says that in Christ, we have become a kingdom of priests offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Right? And so that's part of our identity. He says we become a chosen people, a holy race, a kingdom of priests, and we make... We make spiritual sacrifices, and Paul takes and he puts into that whole conception, this is one of those spiritual sacrifices. One of the ways is as we please God, and, and we know that it is acceptable what we do for him, that is fragrant, that means pleasant to him, and, and something that he delights in is when we, when we support and give and send to support missionaries who are about the work of the kingdom the gospel as it spreads across the face of the earth, right? Isn't that what he says? I mean, this is, this is Paul. He's just, this is wrapping up his letter and his final things. By the way, you know, that was a fragrant offering. It was pleasing and acceptable to your God. This is the kind of stuff, I think, that has to capture our imagination. See, we don't think about giving this way when the person says, I'm, you know, willing to go to Uganda, and I'm, I'm sorry, but would you, you know, and there's this whole thing, you know, we don't think about it this way, that no, it is your opportunity, your opportunity to fragrantly offer a gift to God that will be acceptable and pleasing in some way, in time and in eternity, that builds relationship with people and sends the gospel around the world and plants churches and pleases God. He says, this is a beautiful and powerful thing. This is, this is the church. This is, this is what we are. We were founded by the gospel. We were individually saved by the gospel because somebody was sent and somebody came and went. And then we not only become people who are saved by the gospel and then a reservoir of it, you know, but God is always channel. It's always not reservoir channel, like that it flows through us, that we become gospel people, gospel senders, people senders. And it's not, you know, and it's not a drudgery. It's not, a, it's not something pulling teeth to, you know, get people to, you know, it's no. It, this is, he says, 
a beautiful and powerful thing. It's a partnership. It's fruit that increases to your account. And I have to say, it's an account before God with God. You know, that if this is worship. Paul is asking for the eternal blessing of the givers. An opportunity to worship, to enter into partnership, not only with the missionaries, but with God. And then you get verse 19. Everybody knows verse 19. Not everybody knows those verses right there about sacrificial, happy, hilarious giving to support missionaries to go spread the gospel. But we all know Philippians 4, 19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Right? We love that one. We love our needs. Again, we love to be the getter. We love our needs supplied. You know, and we love promises where God says he's going to do that. I'm on the right end of that stick, right? And we, we really like that. But here you have to see the context, the promise of God's supply, the promise of our every need being met is in the context of our sacrificial act of worship in giving and supporting in missionary endeavors around the world. And he says when we are engaged, and this is the thing, that, that most of the Bible's promises have conditions attached to them. We tend to memorize the promise and ignore the conditions um, that are often put on there. If this, then this. And one of these things, and my God, this promise is, you know what? When you are being the church, when you are loving the things that God loves, when you are engaged in the mission that he's engaged in, when you are spreading the gospel as he designed the church to be, God pours out, he says, test me in this. Now we're back to Malachi, test me in this. If the gates of heaven don't, if I won't supply your need, you'll be okay. He reminds us that the missionary, the mission, the mission supporters, it's about the glory of God. It's not about me, it's not about mine, it's not about them, right? Right? It's about the glory of God. See, God honors our steps of faith. He miraculously provides for both the giver and the asker. He calls us to give, and then he says, I'll supply your needs when you do. And he supplies then the needs of the asker, and he supplies the needs of the giver. And it all abounds to his glory, to, the God, to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right, as Paul describes this beautiful what the church is and what the church is about. And he says, and it's all about in the end to the glory of God as his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven by missionaries. How will they hear if no one is sent? And how will they be sent? Right, and there's that whole string. And we are the senders. It is to his glory when his church is built and when his gospel is preached and his kingdom is advanced and when we love what he loves and we pour ourselves into it. And so why do I preach this sermon this morning is because I want us to send a team to Uganda. And I want us to send a team to Jamaica. And I want us to think in terms of we are the church and this is what we do. And this is who we are. It's how we came into being. And it's how it flows through us and into the, to the ends of the earth. And it is our great privilege, and it abounds to our account, and it is our worship, and it is to God's glory for us as a church to say, who will go for us? 
right? Who will go to Uganda? And that's my question to you this morning. I would love to see six, eight, ten people who will be willing to go to Uganda. This is not going to be a medical mission. I encourage you to grab one of the things back there if you're even slightly interested in going. This is going to be more about door-to-door evangelism, sharing our faith, sharing our testimony, working with churches. If you're an elder or a deacon to help, uh, these are new churches, they're church plants. And he was telling me the other day, I've never gone and not seen people come to Christ. You know, the harvest is ripe. And and the church that he's been working with is now wanting to plant another church. And so they want people to come and help plant a church. And I can't think of another thing that I would want to give my money to than if you will go, if we will go, that we would get behind and figure out how to send a team. And so some here today would be willing to go if money wasn't a barrier. And you say, it's a little scary. But you know what? I would go if we could figure it out. And so let's figure it out. I'm asking on behalf of those who would step up so that the fruit will increase to your credit. So will you consider going? If money were not an option, and we were to figure it out one way or another, how to fund it and get you to Uganda, will you go? It's in April. The dates are in the brochure. You might have to take vacation from work. Some of you wouldn't even have to do that. I want Hicks and Prez to send a team. Second, those who don't go, I want to plot with you on how to partner together to send teams. And I know that, you know, when we start talking about money, and I'm going to say this, I asked, talked last time about systematic tithing and giving to the global outreach, and that is, for me, a year-round systematic way. Again, it's who we are. It's what we do. Um, it is the way God's people have been for literally millennia as, as, the, as the supporting and, and the work there. But what I'm asking you to do as we send this team is that we're talking about the next five months, six months as we prepare and send a team. And I'm asking you to, I'm going to send you a letter next week about those budgets and ask you to think about how you're going to do that systematic thing. On this one, I'm going to ask you this, and this is simply is to think sacrificially. What can you do over the next five months to help make it happen? That if somebody stands up and says, I will go, what am I going to do to help them go? Um, what am I going to do? Am I going to take one less trip to Starbucks a week uh, so that I can give, you know, 15 bucks a month over the next five months by just not drinking a Starbucks a week? You know, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out to eat with my family one less time. And we as a family are going to deliberately make the choice. And so if my children are involved, we're, you know what we're going to do? We're going to eat soup tonight, and we're going to take that money, and we're going to give it to the guys going to Uganda. And we're going to do that once a month. You know, if you do that once a month, um, or, I, you know, that new car I was going to buy, I'm looking at it now. You know what? What if you put off buying it until next summer? You know, will that free up money between now and then so that you can help and you'll give? I mean, there are a thousand ways, you know, as you think about Christmas. Well, maybe I'll do Christmas just a little lighter and mission a little stronger. You know, maybe I'll give some of what I get. Maybe I'll, you know, you, you think about it. How can we, without digging into, you know, our rhythmic, systematic commitments, Make an extra push to send these folks. Mission trips have sometimes felt like a sideshow. We'll stand them up before they go. The goers sometimes feeling guilty about asking. And here's the thing. We're not going to let um, either of the teams are not going to send any letters to the church this year. The, the youth are going to do a couple of their normal fundraising things, the Parents' Night Out, which is a service project, and that raises some good money for them. The other thing I think will be the dinner auction. Which another is another service project. It gets us in each other's homes, and we get fed. You 
Uh, so, but it's another way to, to give. So they're going to do those couple of things. And otherwise, we're not going to, they're, they're not sending you letters and, and the teams. We're going to ask them to send letters outside. Everybody who goes on both of these trips will be sending letters looking for support. Um, and on the other hand, on the inside, I'm just asking you to think, to give designated money to the mission trips in April and June. Over the next time, you can give monthly, you can give a one-time thing, you can give however you want to give. Um, and I'm asking, I haven't told this to our treasurer, our faithful, our faithful treasurer, I hate to surprise him, um, but D- David's around here somewhere. But we're, we're, we're going to designate some money for mission trips. I did get the session's approval for this, though. They, they, the, so, <coughs> so will you think and will you pray? And I guess the main thing I'm just saying is will you send? Will you be the senders? You know, and some of you may not be able to give, and that's, that's fine. This is you know, between you and God, but to pray for them and to think about them, to be praying that God would raise up a team and to think about how we might sacrificially support them and that we would send these teams. Um, who will go first? Uh, and then get behind them and send them. Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved us enough to send the gospel to us. We thank you that you are a missionary God and that it goes to the very ends of the earth and that mission is something that continues to this very day. Father, I ask that you would make us a sending church, not just in the next few months, but that it would be part of our psyche and our identity, that we love the gospel and we love its going and we send. Father, I pray that you would be at work in the lives and hearts of your people now. Uh, That when April comes, when June comes, and the teams go, the money will be there. Have mercy, O God. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.